Hi everyone, I'm Jasmine. And I'm Alea, and welcome to Whitman So White, a platform to share by POC voices and tell our stories. This week we wanted to talk about creative writing as a way to process different experiences and ongoing thoughts. We'll talk about creative writing and how it functions as a way to find a sense of belonging in places that may feel exclusionary. Um, today we're joined by Indira, who is a member of Club Latinx. Um, she was also a flying leader for FGWC first years this past summer, a cow's tutor, and an English language fellow. Indira, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Indira. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a senior Hispanic studies major and creative writing minor. And to start off the episode, we are going to invite Indira to share one of her creative nonfiction pieces with us, which she actually suggested when we started talking about this episode. So I will pass it on to her. Thank you. Yeah, so this is um, an excerpt of a piece, and I'll just start reading. So, um, international adoptions in the United States started in 1955, when an evangelical couple from Cresswell, Oregon, adopted eight Korean children. The adoption was possible because of a special congressional act. This evangelical couple, Henry and Bertha Holt, went on to sponsor more Korean children and match them with couples who had been, quote, saved in the religious sense. The Holtz and other religious organizations involved in international adoption in the West believed they were doing God's work. The first wave of Korean children who were adopted by American families were mixed race individuals. They were the children of Korean women and American soldiers. Many of these mixed race children were not accepted in Korea. Arissa Oh, an author who has written about this history said in an interview, Koreans have this myth of racial purity. They wanted to get rid of these children. Originally, international adoption was supposed to be this race-based evacuation. There is so much at play here globally. Wars, religion, ideas of humanitarian aid, ethnic and racial purity, and in the middle of it all, there are children. While adoption of children from Korea to the U.S. began as a project of, quote, race-based evacuation, race would be an issue that followed these children. Race is an issue that follows all children in the United States. Racism is an ugly inheritance, but we've had it for generations. My dad is an international adoptee. He was born in Mumbai, India, and came to the United States when he was 14 years old. He was initially placed in a foster home in rural Iowa. He was meant to be a farmhand and a good Christian boy. Soul saving is a bit of a pattern, yet in this case, it was misinformed because my dad was raised in a Catholic orphanage in a sea of white, dad tells me. I was the only dark person in the whole school. It was an elementary school. He was placed there because the district didn't know what to do with a 14-year-old who was still learning English. No programs existed for those who were learning English. They were usually in classrooms for the so-called behaviorally disturbed. After multiple visits with the school psychologist, prompted by incidents of cultural misunderstandings, he was made aware of how differently he was viewed by the white teachers, administrators, and students. He felt like he was in a zoo. He had become a spectacle. The novelty of his arrival had worn off. These details were revealed to me after I asked my dad about a story that he often tells. It is a joke that is in his regular rotation. His laugh booms throughout the story. 
It's about him jumping in the snow in order to turn his skin white. As a child, this story mystified me. Even I knew that jumping in the snow wouldn't turn your skin white, so how could he think that as a 14-year-old? There is so much that I can't understand. I wonder how his memories have been impacted by the inability to express himself at that time in his life. With no other Indians to speak to, he lost Marathi and Hindi. I imagine his thoughts echoing back to him, creating a possibility where jumping in the snow to turn your skin white could sound real. An internal world where, in your desire to be accepted and welcome, anything was possible. I learned the realities behind what he usually tells as a joke. In freezing temperatures, he took his shirt off so that the snow would sink in and change the composition of his skin. He rolled in the snow, trying to get the whiteness to stick on him. I didn't understand why I was doing it other than because I didn't want to be different, he tells me. When I jumped over the embankment, I didn't realize there would be no way for me to get out. The landing was not soft. You would think with fresh snow it would be wonderful and amazing and fun. He screamed all the way down and was met with shouting some time after. The shouts came from two of his teachers, who dropped a ladder down for him. He shouted back upon seeing that the snow had not done its job. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, like, some of the aspects of that excerpt are relatable to me just as an adoptee, but I always think it's also interesting just to hear other people's experiences and how they differ as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Well, that was beautiful. I also don't know how you read that completely perfectly without messing up. That was amazing. <laughs> I was so impressed. But that was really um, amazing, to say the least. Um, we're going to ask, we're going to ask your questions per usual. So I guess I'll start off with this one. Um, how is your ethnic identity complicated as a mixed race person and as the child of an adoptee? Yeah, so I think sense of belonging is confusing for anyone who's mixed race and um like since coming to Whitman I've found community with mixed race club and then um but yeah so my mom's from Colombia and then as you know my dad's from India and so but then it's really complicated with my dad's side because um so his grand or my grandparents are white and um so but he, because he came here when he was 14, I think like culturally and the way he identifies is as Indian. And I think like how people see him is as Indian, which also is interesting for me where like just from my appearance, I look Indian. And so like when I've met Indian people, they have like made me feel accepted. But yeah, a lot of the time with my Indian ethnic identity, I've felt imposter syndrome because I'm not sure if I have like a strong enough cultural connection. And then on the Colombian side, have also like not been sure if I have a strong enough cultural connection. But I think um, like a place, a piece that I've come to with those things are like, like I'm just mixed and I am who I am. And there's like, a lot of good things to that and um I love like getting to be a part of those two cultures um I so I noticed that in the document you referenced like your grandparents who 
I assume were your dad's parents. Um, also adopted like other or other kids from other places. And I'm wondering how like being from well being mixed at one, but also being from a um multiracial, multicultural family has like I guess helped you in a way come to the sense of like I am who I am because I definitely know I've come to that conclusion as well from a multiracial multicultural family um but I'm just kind of wondering how you've experienced that yeah I think that my parents like actively like for as long as I can remember have always like told me like that I'm Colombian and Indian and that those are things to be proud of and also um like the color of my skin and like I don't know like reminding me that I'm beautiful and I think they are both very proud people so that's just transferred to me and then with my extended family I I think that's taught me like that family doesn't have to look like you and then beyond that that like like blood doesn't mean family necessarily and um, I think like other deeper like family friend connections show that like with my mom's side of the family, like um, there are Colombian family friends who like are basically my aunts, even though we're not biologically related because of like how close they've been to my family in the States. Um, and so I think, yeah, my conception of family and belonging is a lot more like yeah, a lot wider and more open. Um, just to kind of circle back to the piece that you shared, also connecting it to the um, question that we just asked you, how did you like sort of discover writing as something you really enjoyed? And like, at what point did you, did that happen for you? So a lot of uh, writing is also reading. And so uh, what I mean by that is like the things we read inform the ways that we write and what we see as possible for writing. And I've always loved reading. Um, and so I think, yeah, it came from a love of reading. And then in high school, I got really into watching like poets, poets perform on YouTube and um, like saw a lot of stuff with like uh, spoken word and was really intrigued by it but I have like a softer voice and was like I don't know like how to make that fit in but I think I've found like just yeah along with that like being who I am um, and then uh, yeah so in high school I went to a poetry festival before I had taken a poetry class and that got me really excited um, and then I took a poetry class and um, I wrote a poem that I got to share at a high school like graduation assembly and um, I think that is like one of the most important times in terms of my writing for me because I was able to connect with my community and I think that that is like what I love about writing and um, there had been a shooting in our community and one of um, one of the students from my high school didn't survive that shooting, but there was this like 
like we hadn't made the space to mourn that loss and along with some other losses. And um, so I like named that and people were like crying. And I think it was just a really like bonding experience. And then um, I also in the poem was like celebrating the accomplishments of my peers and um, the beauty of where we live. And I'm from Mount Vernon, Washington. So like all evergreens and um, stuff like that. So I think that moment was like, showed me the impact that writing can have on like beyond myself. And um, that's like what I seek to keep doing. I personally, uh, I think I was in middle school when I was first introduced to spoken word. And I, I mean, I don't even stick with it now. I used to write poetry like crazy, but like it was like a transitional phrase in my life. Like I matured so much and I learned how to handle my emotions better because I started writing. And it's not that I was any good, but it was just that I was committed to it. And it just, it, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done without it, I guess. Um, so yeah, I feel like a lot of people have that moment and some people stick with it like you and some people let it go. But I feel like everybody has that writing moment where they're just like driven to just go at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask, um, how did this um, love for writing kind of change as you were at Whitman? Um, I guess starting first when you arrived and then up until now. Yeah. Um, well, I'm happy that, or I'm happy that you got to have that writing moment. Um, and then, so I think my love for writing has just grown since coming to Whitman. Um, because so I've taken a ton of creative writing classes and that, um, a lot of them are structured with a workshop. So you're constantly working on writing and bettering yourself as a writer and then also getting to read Um, your peers work and then like published authors and I think just like having that space has been really good for me Um, and then uh, let's see another thing is like when I got to Whitman I was like super excited to try all the writing things and then I saw like, like they weren't that well attended and then also noticed like that I was one of the only people of color at those events and um but I was like, I don't want to let that like dissuade me because this is something that like I really love and I want to be a part of. Um, and yeah, since like as each year has gone on, I think my classes have been a little bit more diverse and like more people have been going to events and stuff. Um, so that's been good to see. I think what you just said reminds me of like, it's like affirming this idea of like owning, not owning, like claiming your own space and really taking up all of it. And I feel like a lot of people are afraid to do that because I mean, like a lot of spaces are not meant for POC folk and Mm -hmm. it's, it's so discouraging to know that and for that to be the reality but I think you going in for it, despite despite the hardships of it, of being like the the odd one out, is uh, is 
really admirable and it's really nice to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, I think like something about writing that I really admire is that it's purely like your voice and like when translated also into like spoken word it's just so powerful because you know that the person who's sharing is like is sharing something deeply personal to them and they have the um the what is the word I'm thinking of generosity to share it with everyone and the bravery to do it because I know in my past creative writing experiences that it's really really scary to like put yourself out there in that way especially if it's in writing because then you can you know refer back to it and things like that um and it's more permanent I think in that way um I don't really know where I was going with this but (laughs) yeah yeah, that reminds me, and also what um, something Jasmine was saying earlier about how like writing can help us grow um, and like get our thoughts and processes up, while making me realize like how much I've grown in my time at Whitman through writing, and like how different it would look if I didn't have um, creative writing. So this is just fun to reflect on for me. Yeah, I remember in high school, I took a creative writing class, and one of the first assignments that my teacher had us do was write about, like, the worst thing that we've done ever, and I, like, I was bawling my eyes out while I was, like, writing it, and I was so scared to turn it in, but yeah, just, it was so crazy that just putting something down in words that was very visceral for you in the moment and just reflecting on it is crazy. Um, And like, I do feel like that helped me feel less ashamed of like what I felt was the worst thing that I've ever done. Um, And afterwards it was like kind of a consolation that, my teacher was like, yeah, none of the things that you, any of you wrote were like actually that bad. (laughs) Um, Like, I think we always have like very strong attachments to things that we've done that, you know, are just, you know, human signs of weakness. And I think through writing is just like a way to also be gentle with yourself through those things too. Yeah, I really love how you phrased it as being gentle with yourself. And I was thinking about um, like the vulnerability that writing invites you to. And like, um, yeah, in my classes, like people have been crying or just like really human things or we've been sharing really human things that I think ultimately like show people that we're not alone it must be hard to walk out of like a class like that and then be surrounded by people who aren't allowed or who don't allow themselves to be 
as human and as vulnerable and you're kind of like it just I mean I was in a good environment and then I walk into this and like maybe I don't know if this encourages anybody to seek something out like this I mean somebody somebody needs to get you to do something um to be vulnerable and to kind of be in touch with yourself I guess and people are way too scared or they don't think it's important I mean it's so important it's um I think underappreciated I think in that way too relating it back to our other episode we did with Nia about self-care is just writing evokes so much and it's for me at least like I discover so many things that I didn't even think were happening inside my brain when I'm say journaling or things like that so I know for my mental health like journey that's been a really important piece too so um so to sort of turn it back to you (laughs) what do you find um, that you write most often about or and what do you enjoy writing about most? Um, I often turn to um, like the a bit of the piece that I was reading where it's um, memories or stories that I've heard from my parents or other family members. And I think um, like being a child of immigrants, I think that's something other um, children of immigrants can relate to. There's just like a lot of, I think it's, also like those family members wanting to share a part of um, the life they had in their home country with me. And I think there's also like, um, like a glorifying of those days. And, uh, but that's like really shaped the way that I write and the way that I tell stories. And then um, just naturally, naturally linked to that is race. And so, um, and I'm also passionate about social justice and equity. And so like those things, I think, just naturally find their way into my writing because of who I am. Um, and I think that's that's been interesting in my classes sometimes because, yeah, like it will be me and one other student of color. And I have an essay about race and no one else has talked about race until I brought it up. And I feel like, you know, like that ex- that experience was like my sophomore year where I think as an institution, Whitman has been making more steps to make those conversations a more regular thing. Um, But yeah, back then it like, I felt, Oh yeah, I wanted to share that. So what I shared was um, I wrote a piece that like I knew was going to be shared with a predominantly white audience because we had an event where we were giving a reading like each student in my class. Um, and I knew that, yeah, the audience was going to be predominantly white. And so like when I opened it, I was like thinking about race and I was like, how do I like ease the white people into being like, okay, we're going to talk about race. So I opened with a joke, um, because that's something I've seen my dad do, um, when he's going to talk about race with white people is like ease them in with humor. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that method. But with this, I was like, okay, I don't have to think of my audience as predominantly white. And that's also an idea that like in my writing moving forward, like I don't want to have to accommodate that. Um, So I revised what I shared today to fit in with like what I want. And 
um, yeah, the things that I want to write about. Yeah. Um, and then also, oh yeah, I wanted to say there's times where like writing about family or writing about race are too emotionally heavy in the moment because of like things that are going on. Um, so another thing that I like to write about is, um, or other things are like the beauty in nature, kind of like classic poetry stuff. And then um, my friends and I, whenever we want to hang out, we call it play. So we're like, like, do you want to play after class? And it's just fun and very silly. And I think something that um, is a good reminder that like, even though we're college students, like we should open ourselves to that. So um, I was, yeah, really interested in play and imagination and dreaming in my writing. Um, I think the what you started off with, with being a child of immigrants comes with so many stories. I've, <laughs> my dad has maybe, let's say he has like 20 stories, okay? Like he's always told me like from child to now. And now I think I only need a max of like six or seven words to come out of his mouth before I could retell the whole, the, tell the rest of the story. And now that I'm older, like, because I know exactly what's going to happen when I want him to like, leave me alone, I'll, I'll finish the whole story for him. And he's just like, so amazing. He just stands there and he's like, okay. And he walks away. And sometimes I just feel so bad. And I just, I, I ask questions and I pretend like, I don't know what he's talking about because he doesn't remember telling me these stories. And so I kind of play along with it and I kind of let him because I know it makes him happy. Um, so I do, I really do relate to that experience. Um, how do you feel writing has helped you find like a sense of belonging in a predominantly white space like Whitman? Okay. Yeah. So like I was saying before, um, being one of the only students of color in a creative writing class is a kind of isolating experience, but I think has also led to like really special friendships with the other students of color in those classes. And then um, I've also had other like friendships with white students in my class. I think that like creative writing, like we were talking about vulnerability just lends itself to friendship. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that in a way, like it's encouraged me to, yeah, just take up space. Um, because I was like, well, this is something that's going to keep, keep happening for me, like being one of the only students of color in class. And so I think that just encouraged me to, yeah, make it what I make of it, what I wanted it to be. Um, and then, um, when I was a fly-in leader, um, some of the staff like would introduce me as like Indira, the poet and stuff like that or just be really encouraging and um, like supportive of like when I had a reading, they would come. And um, yeah, I think like being recognized for those skills and then like being prompted to grow in them has been really helpful for me. So uh, like for different things of the flying, which I think is like maybe uh, you guys didn't recognize it as participants, but like little moments when we're the leaders are like 
um, just giving an introduction to something, I felt like I was being really intentional with what I was saying because I wanted to welcome everyone. And I think that that, yeah, comes from my writing. And then at the like closing dinner, um, I hosted it the summer before um, you guys were participants, but where I tried to close with something that was like, yeah, that I had written before. And I think um, that reminds me of when I got to share a poem at the graduation assembly where like I get to speak to like the FGWC community that um, like I feel like I have been so welcomed by and to continue that for um, younger students has been really special. So one of the activities at the very end of the fly-in that we do that people who are not FGWC might not know is that we sort of share very vulnerable stories or things about our lives with each other. And I think that helped me in feeling welcomed um, just because, you know, when everyone is crying in a circle together, there's no other time that they're gonna see you at a lower point so there's really no the bar is already there so anything that you do at Whitman with those flying people it's going to be good no matter what and I think that was like a very positive thing that came out of that um vulnerability circle I want to say um and I think that like very much allowed me to feel welcomed at Whitman. Um, even after leaving the fly-in and coming to Whitman for the for first semester and realizing that it wasn't representative <laughs> of the Whitman community, but I still knew that all those people were um, there with me. So that was that was really nice. Um, so why is Writings, I mean, we've kind of talked a little bit about why um, you continue to write, but do you feel like writing is something that can be like a form of activism? Um, and we've talked a little bit about it as a form of self-care already, but is there anything you'd like to add on those those points? Yeah, so um, I continue to write because I think it's, yeah, become a way that I process the world. And so I think it's just going to be something that I always do now. Um, and then I, yeah, I very much believe that it's a form of activism. Um, and then I have this quote that ties to that. It's by um, Reynaldo Arenas, who um, was a Cuban exile poet. Um, and yeah, he had to flee Cuba because he was speaking out against um, the dictator and uh, living like a publicly gay life, which wasn't accepted. So he has this quote that says, um, if someone is a true writer, not an opportunist who wants to be in favor with the government of the day, that person is always going to be for freedom. Because the simple truth is that without freedom, the writer cannot exist. And the writer who is for freedom is, by definition, not for any totalitarian system. So the duty of the writer is to write well and champion freedom. 
and he champions freedom because he has an obligation. What better obligation than this? And so um, I came across that quote in a class this semester on um, Latinx literature, and um, I think it's very applicable to, like, this current administration and what we see now, and I think, like, I think on one hand, because it's more immediate, like journalism has been a very good example of that, like, um, you know, like sharing truths. And then I think there's been like a lot, like a lot of writers writing has changed um, since 2016, where like, I have this book that someone lent me that's about that's um, from uh, children of immigrants who are writing about like race um, in response to um the 2016 election and so i think there's just so much yeah so much value to that quote and i think in the coming years like we'll see um a lot of how yeah writers have resisted this administration yeah i definitely think especially with like journalism it's like it's like every day journalists get attacked more and more it's like I don't know I, I, I'm not saying that no one has ever lied before in journalism of course there's been that it's not that fake news is new but like the concept of literal term fake news and um like the press and media being like the enemy of the people are like vicious and very new and I think being from the United States of America and having those terms thrown out and a little bit normalized is a little alarming. Um, okay, so on a higher note, do you have any recommendations for us and our listeners of any authors that you really like? Yeah, so um, my favorite poet is Natalie Diaz, and she is a poet who was at like the first poetry festival I attended, and she like just got me so into poetry. And um, her new book is called Postcolonial Love Poem, and yeah, you should check her out and listen to yeah listen to her reading her poetry. Um, and yeah, I think also like I'm just drawn to certain like either writers who I share identities with or like who are fighting for the same kind of changes that I want to see happen. Um, so Natalie Diaz is one of them. And then uh, Kathy Park Hong is a poet and essayist who wrote a collection called Minor Feelings in Asian American Reckoning. And it talks about um, one thing that I found like really interesting was um like talking about her father's masculinity and like how that's been challenged as an Asian man in the United States. Um, and I think, yeah, helped me see my dad in that way also. Um, and then um, Ross Gay is amazing. And he is a good example of like what I was saying about play earlier, where um, he has this book called the book of delights where one day for a year or each day for a year he wrote about what brought him um delight and he's a black poet um and he has a new book that's a book length poem so it's like one single poem um that's a meditation on a 10 second video of the basketball player dr j so he's 
great. And I think for finding other authors, um, I think like how we were saying that writing helps us process things about who we are. I think reading does the same where like, um, I don't know, like finding authors that you have something in common with can really help like your own growth or just put into words things that you've been feeling. And I know it's hard as college students to find like reading for pleasure, but it's out there. So maybe on a break, we can all enjoy something. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Ross Gay because we read him this year in Encounters. And I did not feel like that class, at least for me, gave the essays that we read justice. Um, but it's definitely worth purchasing, I think. And for me, as like a person of color, it was very, it had undertones of race, I think, mostly. And sometimes there were moments of, um, like more obvious conversations about it, but I think the the subtlety was really cool because um, I think like when we think about writing about race, it's very just provocative and out there. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Um, Indita, was there anything else that you wanted to add that we didn't get to talk about? Yeah, I just wanted to um, extend an invitation to anyone who is into creative writing or, yeah, like wants to talk about it or any sort of thing like that or is wondering about taking a class. And you should just go ahead and email me because we all have access to Whitman email. So. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I encourage anyone to take a creative writing class because I think, um, yeah, everyone has a story that they can tell. And, um, I love talking about writing more or reading some work if you want someone to look it over. So, yeah. Oh, yay. Um, okay. So that's all that we have for you today. Um, we want to, Thank Indiana for joining us. Um, it's been really great to talk to you about creative writing. And I think this is also something that needs more attention at Whitman or just like for college students and people in general. Um, but as always, we hope that this episode left you with something to think about. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode of Whitman So White. Lastly, none of the time and energy we spend on Whitman So White is being financially supported. So if you can or would like to pay Indira for their time and voice, see her Instagram posts for her payment options. All guests on Whitman So White will have payment options on our Instagram posts. So go follow us at Whitman So White, pay up, and open your purse.